Chapter Twelve of the Sign of Silence by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Twelve. Frida makes confession. I sat in my rooms in Albemarle Street, utterly bewildered. My meeting with the mysterious woman who wore the spray of mimosa had, instead of assisting to clear up the mystery, increased it a hundredfold. The great suspicions I had entertained of Frida had been corroborated by her strangely direct insinuations and her suggestion that I should go to her and tell her plainly what had been alleged. Therefore, after a sleepless night, I went to Cromwell Road next morning, determined to know the truth. You can well imagine my state of mind when I entered Mrs. Shand's pretty morning room, where great bowls of daffodils lent color to the otherwise rather dull apartment. Frida entered gay, fresh, and charming, in a dark skirt and white blouse, having just risen from breakfast. "'Really, Teddy,' she laughed, "'you ought to be awarded a prize for early rising. I fear I'm horribly late. It's ten o'clock. But mother and I went last night to the Aldwych, and afterwards with the Baileys to supper at the Savoy. So I may be forgiven, may I not, eh?' "'Certainly, dear,' I replied, placing my hand upon her shoulder. "'What are you doing to-day?' "'Oh, I'm quite full up with engagements,' she replied, crossing to the writing-table and consulting a porcelain writing-tablet. "'I'm due at my dressmaker's at half-past eleven, then I'm to call in on Mount Street at half-past twelve, lunch at the Berkeley, where Mother has two women to lunch with her, and a concert at Queen's Hall at three. Quite a day, isn't it?' she laughed. "'Yes,' I said, "'you are very busy. Too busy even to talk seriously with me, eh?' "'Talk seriously?' she echoed, looking me straight in the face. "'What do you mean, Teddy? Why, what's the matter?' "'Oh, nothing very much, dearest,' was my reply, for I was striving to remain calm, notwithstanding my great anxiety and tortured mind. "'But there is,' she persisted, clutching at my hand and looking eagerly into my face. "'What is amiss? Tell me,' she added in low earnestness. I was silent for a moment, and leaving her I crossed to the window and gazed out into the broad grey thoroughfare, grim and dispiriting on that chilly January morning. For a moment I held my breath, then with sudden determination I walked back to where she was standing, and placing both hands upon her shoulders, kissed her passionately upon the lips. "'You are upset today, Teddy,' she said with deep concern. "'What has happened? Tell me, dear.' "'I... I hardly know what's happened.' I replied in a low voice. "'But, Frida,' I said, looking straight into her great eyes, "'I want to—to to ask you a question.' "'A question? What?' she demanded, her cheeks paling slightly. "'Yes, I want you to tell me what you know of a Mrs. Petrie, a—' uh, "'Mrs. Petrie!' she gasped, stepping back from me, her face pale as death in an instant. "'That woman?' "'Yes, that woman, Frida. Who is she? What is she?' "'Please, don't ask me, Teddy,' my love cried in distress, covering her pretty face with her hands and bursting suddenly into tears. "'But I must, Frida. I must for my own peace of mind,' I said. "'Why, do you know the woman?' "'I met her last night,' I explained. I delivered to her a note which my friend Digby had entrusted to me. "'I thought your friend had disappeared,' she said quickly. "'It was given to me before his flight,' was my response." I fulfilled the confidential mission with which he entrusted me, and I met her. She knows you. Isn't that so? I stood with my eyes full upon the white face of the woman I loved, 
surveying her coldly and critically, so full of black suspicion. Was my heart at that moment wholly hers? In imagination, place yourself, my reader, in a similar position. Put before yourself the problem with which, at that second, I found myself face to face. I loved Frida, and yet had I not obtained proof positive of her clandestine visit to my friend on that fateful night? Were her fingerprints not upon the little glass-topped specimen table in his room? And yet so clever, so ingenious had she been, so subtle was her woman's wit, that she had never admitted to me any knowledge of him further than a formal introduction I had once made long ago. I had trusted her, I trusted her with all the open sincerity of an honorable man, for I loved her better than anything else on earth. And with what result? With my own senses of smell and of hearing, I had detected her presence on the stairs, waiting, it seemed, to visit my friend in secret after I had left. No doubt she had been unaware of my identity as his visitor, or she would never dare to have lurked there. As I stood with my hand tenderly upon her arm, the gaze of my well-beloved was directed to the ground. Guilt seemed to be written upon her white brow, for she dared not raise her eyes to mine. Frida, you know that woman. You can't deny knowledge of her, can you? She stood like a statue, with her hands clenched, her mouth half open, her jaws fixed. I, I don't know what you mean, she faltered at last, in a hard voice, quite unusual to her. I mean that I have a suspicion, Frida, a horrible suspicion that you have deceived me, I said. How? she asked with her harsh, forced laugh. I paused. How should I tell her? How should I begin? You have suppressed from me certain knowledge of which you know I ought to have been in possession for my friend Digby's sake, and— Ah, Digby Kemsley again, she cried impatiently. You have not been the same to me since that man disappeared. Because you know more concerning him than you have ever admitted to me, Frida, I said in a firm, earnest voice, grasping her by the arm and whispering into her ear. Now, be open and frank with me. Tell me the truth. Of what? she faltered, raising her eyes to mine with a frightened look. Of what Mrs. Petrie has told me. That woman, what has she said against me? my love demanded with quick resentment. She is not your friend in any case, I said slowly. My friend, she echoed. I should think not. She... And my love's little hands clenched themselves, and she burst again into tears without concluding her sentence. I know, dearest, I said, striving to calm her and stroking her hair from her white brow. I tell you at once that I do not give credence to any of her foul allegations, only, only, well, in order to satisfy myself, I have come direct to you to hear your explanation. My, my explanation? she gasped, placing her hand to her brow and bowing her head. Ah, what explanation can I make of allegations I have never heard? she demanded. Surely, Teddy, you are asking too much. I grasped her hand, and holding it in mine, gazed again upon her. We were standing together near the center of the room where the glowing fire shed a genial warmth and lit up the otherwise gloomy and solemn apartment. Ah, how sweet she seemed to me! How dainty, how charming, how very pure! And yet, ah, the recollection of that woman's insinuations on the previous night ate like a canker-worm into my heart. 
and yet how I loved the pale, agitated girl before me! Was she not all the world to me? A long and painful silence had fallen between us, a silence only broken by the whirl of a taxi passing outside and the chiming of the long old-fashioned clock on the stairs. At last I summoned courage to say in a calm, low voice, "'I am not asking too much, Frida. I am only pressing you to act with your usual honesty, and tell me the truth. Surely you can have nothing to conceal.' "'How absurd you are, Teddy,' she said in her usual voice. "'What can I possibly have to conceal from you?' "'Pardon me,' I said, "'but you have already concealed from me certain very important facts concerning my friend Digby. "'Who has told you that? The woman Petri, I suppose,' she cried in anger. "'Very well. Believe her, if you wish.' "'But I don't believe her,' I protested. "'Then why ask me for an explanation?' "'Because one is, I consider, due from you in the circumstances.' "'Then you have set yourself up to be my judge, have you?' she asked, drawing herself up proudly, all traces of her tears having vanished. I saw that the attitude she had now assumed was one of defiance. Therefore I knew that if I were to obtain the information I desired, I must act with greatest discretion. No, Frida, I answered. I do not mistrust or misjudge you. All I ask of you is the truth. What do you know of my friend Digby Kemsley? Know of him, why, nothing, except that you introduced us. For a second I remained silent, then with severity I remarked, "'Pardon me, but I think you rather misunderstood my question. I meant to ask whether you have ever been to his flat in Harrington Gardens.' "'Ah, I see,' she cried instantly. "'That woman Petrie has endeavoured to set you against me, Teddy, because I love you. She has invented some cruel lie or other, just as she did in another case within my knowledge. Come,' she added, "'tell me out plainly what she has alleged against me.' She was very firm and resolute now, and I saw in her face a hard defiant expression, an expression of bitter hatred against the woman who had betrayed her. Well, I said, loving you as intensely as I do, I can hardly bring myself to repeat her insinuations. But I demand to know them, she protested, standing erect and facing me. I am attacked, therefore I am within my right to know what charges the woman has brought against me. She has brought no direct charges, was my slow reply. But she has suggested certain things, certain scandalous things. What are they? she gasped, suddenly pale as death. First, tell me the truth, Frida, I cried, holding her in my arms, and looking straight into those splendid eyes I admired so much. Admit it, you knew Digby. He, he was a friend of yours? Uh, a friend, she gasped, half choking with emotion. A uh, friend, yes you knew him intimately. You visited him at his rooms, unknown to me, I went on fiercely. Ah, she shrieked, don't torture me like this, Teddy, when I love you so deeply. You don't know, you can never know all I have suffered, and now this woman has sought to ruin and crush me. Has she spoken the truth when she says that you visited Digby, at night, in secret, I demanded, bitterly between my teeth, still holding her, her white hard-set face but a few inches from my own. She drew a long deep breath, and in her eyes was a strange half-fascinated look, a look that I had never seen in them before. "'Ah, Teddy,' she gasped, "'this, this is the death of all our love. I foresee only darkness and ruin before me. 
but i will not lie to you no i i then she paused and a shudder ran through her slim frame which i held within my grasp i'll tell you the truth yes i i went to your friend unknown to you you did i cried hoarsely with fierce anger possessing my soul yes dear she faltered in a voice so low that i could scarce catch her reply yes i i went there she faltered because because he he compelled me compelled you i echoed in blank dismay but at that instant i saw that the blackness of unconsciousness had fallen upon my love even as i held her in my embrace and for me too alas the sun of life had ceased to shine and the world was dead End of chapter twelve recording by tom weiss tom's audiobooks dot com